Hello, my friends. I'm so glad that you could join me today. Welcome back to another episode of Anything Goes. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Anything Goes. I hope that you are well. I hope that you are enjoying your day or night, whatever time you are listening to this. I hope your week has gone well, or your weekend, or it is starting well, depending on when you are hearing this. <laughs> oh, friends, it's so good to be back with you again. Uh, I find myself missing uh, these chats that I have with y'all, and so here I am again. Well, friends, with all of that said, I wanted to start out by first again saying thank you to all of you who listen in, who have been following along on my journey for a while. For those of you that are new, welcome to the family. Uh, you'll find some really great people in here. Um, to that end, I wanted to let you know, and I mentioned it before, I am working still on trying to get a website put together where I can have a landing page for Anything Goes, aside from just my anchor page, so that I can try to create some way for us to be able to communicate within the community a little more. Um, that being the case, I wanted to let you know there are costs involved, so it's I'm having to figure out how to do that. Uh, and one of the ways that you can help with that is, if you can afford to do so, uh, sign up to be a monthly subscriber to the podcast. You can do that on my Anchor page, which is anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, dot, or period, F-M, forward slash, J-O-S-E-P-H, hyphen, or dash, Guzman, G-U-Z-M-A-N, and the number three. So again, that's anchor.fm forward slash Joseph dash or hyphen Guzman and the number three. On there, you can click on the support button and you can become a monthly supporter to the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month. Uh, or you can step up to $4.99 a month. Or you can step up to $9.99 a month. And that makes you a monthly subscriber to the or supporter of the podcast, which means that if you enjoy what's happening here, your contributions help me to continue to build this out. It allows me to have the, the money necessary to buy better equipment, to improve the sound studio, which is none right now, to an actual studio, um, and to be able to get things like the website and stuff like that put together so that we have a place where we can connect a little more. But yeah, I'm working on that stuff, trying to get those things in place so that we can do that. So I just wanted to let you know, it is in the works. It's just uh, really and truly, it's a matter of money. Uh, as soon as the money is available, I can get those things taken care of and then grow it out some more. So all of that said, welcome. Glad to have you here. I uh, wanted to say hello to uh, my 18 to 22 range of listeners. I've been seeing the numbers going up on that, so glad to have uh, y'all more of y'all coming in. 
and the 23 to 20, I think it was 28, something like that. Maybe it was early 30s, like 32. Um, glad to have you all here as well. I know that it's been challenge getting into workforce with what's been going on in a lot of places, but glad to have you here, and I hope that you can glean some encouragement, some curiosity, some support, some growth uh, as you move forward. That all said, friends, today I wanted to talk a bit about planning for your future uh, and, and what you can do to find ways to attract money to yourself. And I'm not talking about in some sort of like manifest it and it'll appear kind of way. Um, so that you can take care of yourself and prepare for your future and I honestly would say the sooner the better. I don't care if you're 18 or 17 or 15, if you have the means to start doing it, it's always a good time to start planning for your future. So that said, uh, I wanted to first address um, something that I've heard many people talk about lately, uh, especially uh, within the mid-30s and younger age range. And that is, uh, how do I make money? I've heard that so many times. How do I make money right now? Things are tough. I can't get the work that I need. How do I make money? And I wanted to challenge that by saying first, how about we change that? Instead of the question being, how do I make money? Because you don't need to make money and you can't make money. In a very literal way, you can't make money. And I would challenge it to be, how do I attract money? Because that's a different thing. And that's a more meaningful thing. How do you attract money? And when I say that, I'm not talking about some sort of like manifest board sort of stuff or any of those books that people put out there about that. And if you're a part of that, hey, to each their own. I don't necessarily believe in the whole manifest it and you'll have it. I've tried that. There's still no Ferrari in my Porsche, or in my Porsche, in my driveway. There's still no mansions. There's none of that. Not that I necessarily need all of that, but just you know, to prove the point. I'm like, cool, let's have it then. I've put up boards, I've tried all of that. But no, I'm talking about very practical things. So when I talk about attracting money, it's things you can do to actually get money moving your way. And really, it all comes down to uh, one core principle, in my opinion, and that is create creating value. You want to attract money? Figure out how to create value. And there's really, after thinking about it a bit and different experiences I've had in life, uh, whether starting ventures, businesses, consulting in different ways, teaching, all kinds of different stuff, I've thought about what is the best ways to create value? How do you attract money? And I came down to three things. Um, and that's really this. One way to create value that helps you attract money is to create something that someone wants or needs. So if you can make something, if you can create something that someone, and hopefully many someones, want and or need in their life, then you can get money attracted your way because you're answering a need or a want for someone. Another way to create value and to attract money is by creating what keeps money safe or growing. And I can tell you that's another one that I've worked on. I, As you've heard me say before, I am a hobby investor. I've got two portfolios that I manage. One 
I started in 2017, the other in 2019. Uh, combined, my combined growth in both portfolios is about 52%, it's like 52.3 uh, from both portfolios. Again, one was created in 2019, the other 2017. And I'm no uh, licensed broker. I'm not someone that's been in New York Stock Exchange floors trading and buying and selling. I'm just someone who appreciates pattern and likes to look at those things and has figured out how to make it work for me so that I get a pretty decent return um, year over year. So that's another way that you can create value and um, attract money is to create something that keeps money safe or growing for people. If you can do that, you can make money, you can attract money, I should say. If you can figure out how to create something that someone wants or needs, you can attract money. The last one is, if you can solve a problem better than someone else can, you can attract money. You don't even have to come up with something new that's never been done before. You just have to come up with something that's been done, that, that you're doing in a way that no one else has done, that you're doing it better than anyone else. And if you can do that, you can attract money. So let's sum up. Instead of how do I make money, let's ask the question instead, how do I attract money? And the core to that is creating value. And how do you create value? Through one of these three ways. By creating something that someone wants or needs, by creating something that helps keep keep people's money safe or growing, or by solving a problem better than anyone else can. If you can do those, any of those, all of those, you can and will attract money. It may take a little while because you'll have to get some traction, you'll have to prove some things, but you can and will get there. Uh, so I wanted to start by that. And now the next part is really going to be kind of diving into uh, planning for your future financially. And I've really taken some time to sit down and dissect some of the things I pay attention to and that I've thought about with regard to creating uh, a financial future for yourself and for generations to come and whatnot. And really it kind of breaks down to, um, I guess I would say, three things. Though I would say they all kind of play hand in hand. So to that extent, uh, the first one I wanted to look at is going to be the first and most practical one you want to consider, which is uh, saving money for your freedom and for your security. And so how does that work? So really it breaks down to this. You should have as much money saved as you need to cover your expenses and your needs in life. And the goal of that being to have enough to cover years of needs and expenses. Now, obviously, that requires you knowing how to budget and how to live well beneath your means and to be able to make it sustainable. Because if you can do that, then you can make a decent amount of money. You don't even have to make hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you can still put a lot of good money away to give yourself a really useful cushion. And the reason that matters is that things like pandemics or other issues can occur, a collapse in an economy or a, you know, a recession, a depression, and you want to be able to have something there to help you. So that's going to be one of the important things that I would say start with. Figure out what your expenses and your needs are, what that budget looks like 
from month to month, from year to year. Build that out, factor in all of your costs, and then any bit beyond that that you can afford to and that you are disciplined enough to do, put it aside. I'm not saying all your money should sit in a savings account because don't get me wrong, savings accounts are not worth the money you're getting from them. Not unless you have millions of dollars in there and even then, it's really not worth it. The average, I think, savings account is like, what, 0.10 interest? That's nothing. That means for, what, 1%. So for every $100 I would put in, right, right I make $1. I mean, it's $1 more than I had, but at that rate, it's really not a cost-benefit analysis that makes sense. I have to give my bank $100 and I get $1 in return? That's not a real good return on investment at all. So the point of this is just to use it as a means to keep the money you need for emergency and, and just for your future security. So if you lose your job, you have enough money put aside that you can float for a while while you're looking for a job without having to panic um, and, and just rush into something. And it also gives you the room to explore some other ventures if you decide you want to try a different pathway. So once you've gotten to that point, the next thing you want to look at is to create a diversified portfolio of investments. And when I'm talking about diversified portfolio, I'm not talking about real estate and all of that. That's something to move into later on. What I'm talking about is like stock and things of that nature. And after looking at um, my portfolios and really kind of analyzing things, I've really kind of cooked it down to what I would consider a pretty meaningful recipe. Uh, something that uh, I can say is not just something I know works, but also something I've seen from people who are very big uh, investors who have big companies who also know that these numbers work. And the reason they work is because in these percentages within these things, it actually makes a type of portfolio that doesn't have to be adjusted annually. Uh, and so I've really broken it down, and really it comes down to these elements. In a portfolio that you want to have diversified, that you don't have to adjust annually, you'll want to have this kind of recipe breakdown. Uh, you're going to want to have 30% of your investment in stocks. And my personal view, I say you want to have stocks that are going to be stable, that have been around for a while, that, are, that have a pretty stable growth. They may not have fast growth, but they have stable growth. And if you can, find one that's like that, that also offers dividends. Because then you're essentially getting paid by that stock without ever having to sell it, which is a nice little thing to have there. So 30% of your portfolio should be in stocks. 40% of your portfolio should be in long-term U.S. bonds. And you can feel how you want about it, but U.S. bonds tend to be pretty good for that regard. So 40% of your portfolio you want in long-term U.S. bonds. Another 15% in intermediate U.S. bonds. And then you want 7.5% of that of your portfolio in gold and in some sort of gold, you know, sort of commodities. And then another 7.5% in other commodities, water, food, you know, things like that. If you can break it down into those uh, 
percentages, then you'll find that you can actually have a pretty stable investment portfolio, which will allow you to grow. And I can't emphasize enough. When you're buying for your 30% in stocks, try to do stuff that can provide dividends that's also stable. Because essentially, if you ever need to sell the stock, that's actualizing money there. But while you have the stock, you're making money from the dividends. And then you can just let that turn around and reinvest right back in. So that's that's the next part. You want to you want to invest. You want to get a good diversified portfolio in place. And part of that would be also to say you need to learn long-term market cycles. Because if you can understand those, I can promise you it will be of benefit. When I went through my investment courses I did take when uh when I was younger, I remember one of the things that we were it was a mantra that we went through every day when we came into the classroom and every day before we left we said it it was like a prayer almost and that was this a wise investor understands that the market is emotional but does not himself or herself become emotional in investing but instead plays on the emotion of the market for their benefit and so Understand that, and part of doing that is by knowing those cycles of the economy, because people are going to react in certain ways, and when you pay attention to the numbers enough, you realize there are very predictable aspects to it. People are relatively predictable in many ways. So when I talk about long-term market cycles, I really wanted to then get into the next part, and, and we will actually pick up on that right after this break. Hello, Anything Goes family. Just wanted to take this moment to remind you that if you like this podcast and you'd like to see it continue to grow and improve, um, I welcome you to become a monthly supporter to the podcast. You can do so at anchor.fm forward slash Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H hyphen or dash Guzman, G-U-Z-M-A-N, and the number three. There on that page, you'll find a button that says support. If you click on that button, you can become a monthly supporter to the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. The choice is up to you. And if you decide that you want to be a supporter larger than that, or you'd like to do a one-time gift, then you can click on that other button that says message, and I can certainly arrange that with you. And as always, my friends, I always love hearing from you. So if you'd like to send me a hello, you can click on that message button and let me know. Or if you'd like to be considered for a podcast, or if you have an idea for a podcast, send me a message. I always love hearing from you, my friends. Alrighty, friends, we're back. So as I was talking about before the break, uh, I was going to get into uh, these cycles and some of the prediction tools that I use with regard to cycles and such that uh, you'll want to get into if you really want to understand how to build uh, investment plans and strategies that will help you to 
weather whatever the world will bring to you. Now, again, I need to explain, as I'm doing all of this, I'm not an expert, I'm not paid, I'm not licensed in this, I'm just a hobby investor who has figured out how to make it work well for myself. Um, so I'm sharing this with you merely for educational purposes. So I cannot say that by doing this, I will, you will be guaranteed that you're going to make money because there's just no such thing in investments. There's risk in everything. Uh, and you could lose everything. Then again, you won't. You may not. So I say that simply to say, you know, I offer what I have learned and what I have found uh, for your benefit and scrutinize it and find out what works for you. That said, these are some of the tools, the prediction tools that I use in helping me understand better what the markets are looking at doing even before they happen, if possible. I've got about nine different cycles and uh, tools that I use. The first one is one called the uh, Kondratiev wave or the K wave. For people that have done investing, you've probably heard that. That one's a very common thing people talk about a lot. That particular uh, K wave, what it does is it looks at the long cycle patterns in an economy, how things occur, move within the economy on a long cycle pattern. Um, I won't get into explaining each of these in depth because that can just take a long time. But suffice it to say, I can tell you what it is and then you can go and look that up. Another tool that I use is what's known as the Kuznet cycle, K-U-Z-N-E-T. Uh, and that one looks at the 15 to 25 year infrastructure and investment cycle. Again, that's a 15 to 25 year infrastructure and investment cycle. That's another one that I look at in conjunction to the Kondratiev uh, waves or K waves. That one again is spelled, the Kondratiev is K-O-N-D-R-A-T-I-E-V. Another cycle that I track is the, I think it's pronounced Jugler cycle, it's the J, it's J-U-G-L-A-R. I think it's Jugler cycle but it could be juggler, I'm not sure. And that looks at a seven to 11 year fixed investment cycle. Another that I use is the kitchen business cycle. Uh, kitchen, not as in where you go and cook food and have dinner and things like that. No, kitchen is spelled K-I-T-C-H-I-N. Another way it's referred to as the business cycle. And that particular cycle looks at a three to five year commodity swing. So the swing in commodities over three to five years. That's another one that I look at. Now I'm, I'm sharing these and I want you to understand, I'm going to be sharing a lot of, or all of these different things with you. And it sounds like a lot of information and it is a lot of information. But to the extent that you can make use of these and understand them well, is to the extent that you can really put yourself in a position to do better in what you invest in. I'm not saying, again, that it's a guarantee you will always succeed. There's no such thing. But these tools can help you to navigate and to kind of foresee what's coming better. So moving forward, I mentioned the kitchen business cycle. Another one is what's known as a super cycle, uh, super cycle waves or disruption cycles. Uh, and you find those by combining 
the first four I mentioned. Uh, so when you combine the Kondratiev waves, the Kuznet cycles, the Eugler cycles, and the Kitchen or business cycles, when you combine those together you can get what's known as a super cycle wave or a disruption cycle. And those really can help you to see what's occurring. Because remember, when you're combining these waves together to take a look at what's happening as an overall approach, by combining those four waves, you're, you're combining long cycle patterns in economy, you're combining 15 to 25 year infrastructure and investment cycles, you're combining 7 to 10 year uh, fixed investment cycles, and you're combining 3 to 5 year commodity swings. All of those together, and you're looking at how those interact with each other, and that becomes that super cycle wave then, that disruption cycle that you track. That becomes a wave itself that you can track based off of those others. Another one is the uh, Schumpeterian waves, and I'm not super sure how to explain that in an easy way. I can give you the spelling and let you look it up, though. Uh, Schumpeterian waves, and sorry if I'm saying it wrong, is S-C-H-U-M-P-E-T-E-R-I-A-N, Schumpeterian waves. Again, sorry if I'm butchering that. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. Uh, that one I had difficulty in figuring out how to explain in a way that could be uh, easily put within just a few words. But you can look that one up and see what you find in it. Uh, and then the next one that I'll mention is really kind of a two-part one. And that is looking at government currency cycles. Now again, I live in the U.S. I'm looking at it from that regard. So you have two different government currency cycles that you want to look at, and they play off of the above cycles I've mentioned already with regard to the printing of money and the issuing of debt. And so with regard to government currency cycles, what you look at is the stuff I've mentioned above or, or previously. Uh, and then you want to look at that with regard to a short-term debt cycle, which is roughly about eight-year cycles and your long-term debt cycle, which is roughly 50 to 75-year cycles, comprised of short-term debt cycles. And the elements of the wave include a prosperity phase, a debt bubble phase, a large wealth gap phase, a bursting of the debt bubble phase, printing of new money and easier credit phase, revolutions and wars phase, and then the building of debt and political restructuring. That all kind of falls within some of that stuff that you're looking at with this, right? This is what you're looking for, is these things. And I'll get more into what I just mentioned a little further in there. But your government currency cycles, you'll look at the short-term debt cycle, which is roughly eight years, and your long-term debt cycles, which is roughly 50 to 75 years. Looking at that with all the other stuff that I've mentioned as well, these begin to combine together, and you can really start to get a bigger and better picture of what's occurring um, in very real ways. Now the next ones I'm going to mention are ones that people don't oftentimes tend to pay attention to a lot, but I think also are of importance. And that, that first one I'll mention of these other two is generational cycles. And what I mean by generational cycles is that basically about 80 years is what's considered a generation or a lifetime of a person, right, or one generation. So about 80 years or one generation of life is considered a generation cycle. And generation cycles are basically broken into four parts, each of them being 20 to 22 years, roughly. 
per, uh, per period, per part. Uh, so the first part being the awakening period, as it's referred to, the next part being the unraveling period, the next being the crisis period, and then finally the fourth being the high period. So when we go back, I think, 500 years and look at things starting in 1900, uh, we can see, or well, starting in 1900, we can see some examples of that. So here we look at the awakening period. One that we track was from 1900 to 1910. And if you think about what was in the awakening period, think about what was happening in the 1900s to 1900 to 1910, and you can kind of get the idea as you look at history as to why it's considered kind of an awakening period. The unraveling period then follows from 1910 to 1930. And you can kind of get an idea of why we would call that an unraveling period by looking at what's happening in economy and in society and things like that. Now, mind you, 1930, think about that, right? There's some interesting things starting to happen. The next period, the crisis period, is then from 1930 to 1945. And I think pretty easily anyone who's gone through some history courses can say, ah, yes. I could see why we would call that a crisis period, because some interesting things were happening, uh, to put it in very light terms, in the 1930s through 1945. Then moving forward from there, we hit what's considered the high period, or things start moving up and looking better. And that is from 1945 into 1965. And so... As you look through history, you can look at these things in these generational cycles, and you can start thinking about that. Now, the next ones we can look at is, again, moving forward, then we hit another awakening period from 1965 to 1985, and then we hit our next unraveling period, 1985 to 2005. Our next crisis period is where we are currently in right now, which is 2005 to 2025. And I think looking at, aside from just a, a pandemic, there are definitely things we can see in geopolitical uh, situations and whatnot that can indicate, yeah, there's some crisis to consider, as well as global warming. The next period after that that, we're, that I'm looking towards is once we get through crisis period, 2025, uh, we then come into what's the next high period, which is 2025 to 2040. And so I mention all of this to say, this is important to remember. Remember the average being, basically, a person lives about 80 years, more or less. And they're broken into four parts. The awakening period, unraveling period, crisis period, and high period. Now, it's important to remember this as we move into the next part. Because when we consider the unraveling and crisis period, uh, typically it's within those areas not always, but pretty much, I would say, more, more often than not, most of the time, you're going to find the next cycles falling within the unraveling to crisis period. And that is the next cycle, which is war cycles. Again, this is one a lot of people don't think about, but this is an important part to consider when you're thinking about your financial future and your investments is what's going to be happening and what things will be going on in the markets what sort of things will trend in the markets based on, you know, what period we're in, awakening, unraveling, crisis, or high? Um, whether there's war or not can affect the way the economy functions and what things take priority over others in 
um, the market. So to that end, we'll look at war cycles. And there's two parts to war cycles. You have uh, what I'm saying are your essentially your minor wars or things that aren't like full-on wars, I guess. Uh, I'm just going to say minor wars for simplicity's sake. Your minor wars are one part or one of the two war cycles. And those are roughly every other 50 years. Um, and they lead into the next cycle, which is your major war cycle. And that's basically roughly every 100 years. Another way to think of it is this. Minor wars are things you might see between generations, that more than one generation might share that experience. Major war cycles are typically going to be cycles where whatever previous major war occurred, the generation that was in that has all pretty much died off. And so it's typically when a new war comes in, a major war happens, is when the generations that, re- that witnessed and were a part of that major war are no longer with us, on this side of existence at least. Um, and that's normally when we come into another major war cycle. So that's important to consider given that we are in that crisis period here currently, and there are some things that could indicate we might see that. I'm not trying to be a war monger or fear monger or anything like that. I'm just simply addressing what I know from things I've studied for investing. Uh, So those are things that you have to consider. And remember, a lot of times those are going to fall within that unraveling to crisis period area. Um, So some notable cycle peaks and valleys that I would mention with regard to war cycles are going to be uh, the War of 1812, Civil War, And mind you, I'm looking at this from a U.S. perspective. The War of 1812, the Civil War, the outset of the Spanish-American War, the end of World War I, uh, when America entered into World War II, uh, the Korean War, uh, the Vietnam War, the mid-90s peace dividend. Uh, These are critical moments that we can look at that that fall within what we see with the minor and major war cycles and then how those coincide with the different periods, the awakening, unraveling crisis, and high periods. And remembering that's the generational cycle, which is to say roughly about 80 years or one generation of life. Uh, And those things combine with what we look at with war cycles, generational cycles, with government currency cycles, which are long-term and short-term debt cycles, the Schumpeterian waves, the super cycles or disruption cycles, which look at the uh, previous four, which are the kitchen or business cycles, which are the three to five year commodity swings, uh, the Jugler cycles, seven to ten, uh, seven to eleven year uh, fixed investment cycles, the Kuznet cycles, which are fifteen to twenty five year infrastructure and, and investment cycles, and the Kondratiev waves or K waves, looking at the long cycle patterns in economy. All of this stuff is what I use to help me get a better perspective on how to negotiate what my portfolio needs to do and what things to be invested in. And remember, with regard to that, I already mentioned the previous uh, recommendation I would that I recommend because this is what I use, which is to create a diversified portfolio that doesn't require annual adjustments. You want to consider kind of the idea of 30% in stocks, 40% in long-term U.S. bonds, 
15% in intermediate U.S. bonds, 7.5% in gold, and another 7.5% in other commodities. And so when you use these tools and you kind of consider this percentage ratio for a portfolio, you have a really good shot of trying to create something that's going to be fairly stable. And the younger you can start doing this, the better. Also, the other part to remember, planning for the future also requires saving money for freedom and security. So put money aside to cover your needs and expenses and try to build up that, that storage of that so that you have not just a few weeks or months, but years. If you can have enough put aside for two, three, five, ten years, you're in a really great place. And that is doable if you can just remember to live within your means. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to this right after this break. All right, friends, we're back. I know this has been a rather heady one, but I, I really felt it was important given what's been going on with pandemic and economy and employment. I thought I would share things that I know have been useful for me. And again, let me please clarify. I am not a licensed broker or investor, um, so you should obviously talk to your own uh, experts that are doing that. I'm someone who does it as a hobby, who enjoys it, and who has found ways to make it work for me and has had a pretty decent level of success with growth in, the, in my investments. I share what I do merely to help give you some education and to help you find ways to get moving in your own investment uh, future. Uh, and so where I, was, where I was before we cut to break was talking about the important part of putting enough money aside to cover your expenses and needs and doing that for months and years of it so that if a real difficult time hits you, you're not found, you don't find yourself in a place where you're scrambling to figure out what to do. If you've planned well, then you're, you're able to execute on that and you have that breathing room. And for those, since I know that roughly about half of my audience is in their 30s and younger, all the way down to 18 years old, I want to emphasize, if you are not investing, you need to start. Uh, if you need parents to help you with it, then so be it. But what I offer here is a means to help you kind of get started. Um, and so put money aside. If you're thinking about college, uh, let, me, let me tell you this. If you're going to be using student loans and you're going to be taking the full amount, whatever you're not using for books or expenses for school, instead of just using it to go and have fun with friends and party and go on fancy spring break trips or whatever, which is nice, might I encourage you to take a portion of that and invest it and save it and pack it away each time you get student loan money. Um, use what you can and then whatever you have that you didn't, didn't need for books or other expenses, once you've budgeted what you know you're gonna need, put it aside for your future. I promise you, it is to your benefit to do so. It may mean that you may have to forsake, you know, a, a Burning Man trip or Electric Daisy Carnival or whatever other thing you want to go to. Um, but the dividends of investing in yourself and your future will pay off way more than that one experience will. And don't get me wrong, friends, I love those experiences too. But 
first is about security for your own future and your own generations ahead of you. Should you decide to have kids, it's a nice place to be where you're not having to worry so much about money because you've thought ahead. So since I know roughly half of my audience is younger, I would say do it now. Put money aside. Create a diversified portfolio with what you have. Robinhood is a good platform that really lets you start with what you've got. You can do fractional shares. So there's no reason to not start. I've given you the percentages on what I think are, are a good starting point that you don't have to worry about adjusting it. And just so you know, I'm not one that buys and sells a lot. I'm not a day trader. I don't do that kind of investing. I'm a long-term perspective kind of investor. And so I think about my investments into different stocks and companies with that lens. Um, I don't really put a lot of risky investments. Now, if wealth gets to a point where I can afford to, I might become something of a uh, venture capitalist and maybe an angel investor. And then there's more risk. But by that point, I'll have already have done these things well enough that I can afford to play those risky games more. So I share this with you all to say, make use of it. Put money aside. Be wise with your money. Budget. Think about your expenses and needs and try to live beneath your means for the long-term goal. And always keep your goal ahead of you. Make use of the tools I mentioned, the different kinds of things to look at, the different cycles the Kondratiev waves, the Kuznet cycle, the Yugler cycle, the kitchen business cycle, the super cycle or disruption wave cycle, the Shumterian waves, uh, the government currency cycles, which are short-term debt cycle and long-term debt cycles, generational cycles, which break into the four parts that are roughly 20 to 22 years each, the awakening period, the unraveling period, the crisis period, and the high period, the war cycles, which break into minor and major wars, and Taking into account how all of that works, having a good balanced portfolio, and putting money, having money put aside for your needs and expenses, and living beneath your means, will set you up for future uh, relaxation in life. Assuming the world doesn't all fall to hell in a handbasket, friends. <laughs> Again, there's no such thing as a guarantee, 100% foolproof plan but there are strategies that are better or worse. So I share all of this with you friends simply to say, uh, these are things that I know that can help and I want them to help you. A couple of other things that I wanted to make mention of. With regard to cycles, remember that all cycles look at past patterns to predict future ones. So that being the case, these aren't fortune telling, these are analytical in nature. They're looking at the past to get some ideas of the patterns that are emerging. Uh, pretty much all of these things take place in our lifetime, right? So major wars tend to take place uh, after all who remember the last have died. I mentioned that earlier, but I want to reemphasize that when considering stuff like those cycles. Uh, all tend to be self-fulfilling uh, these cycles all tend to be self-fulfilling to some extent, and that's because of political leaders who are aware of these different cycles and uh, play into the cycles. For example, there seems to be evidence that China or Russia may be where the next major American conflict will occur. Uh, and so being aware of that helps us to think about our financial futures and our investments as well. And remember also that big trend, big new trends in education revolution and entrepreneurship really look like the next big growth. 
So if you're looking at what's happening, I think some of the major trends we're looking at are going to be some revolutions in education and looking at the growth of entrepreneurship. And lastly, I want to wrap up by reminding you of what I had said, right? For those who are saying, well, how do I make money? Again, remember, I challenge you to change the question from how do I make money to how do I attract money? And not in some hocus pocus manifest kind of thing or anything like that, but very tangible ways. And I gave you three ways you can do that. And those all fall under the core of creating value. You want to attract money, create value. And here are three ways to do it. Creates, create what someone wants or needs, and you can be assured that you have a good chance of creating value, which there can, thereby can attract money. Create something that keeps people's money safe or growing, and in that way you are creating value, which will attract money. Also, if you can solve a problem better than anyone else around you can, or anyone else is, that's creating a value that people will, will give you money for. Those are ways to attract money. And friends, you can do that. You'll have to do an assessment of self. And there are things I can talk about that can talk about how to get a better assessment of yourself and to do the hard work of digging within yourself to improve yourself and to really know how to define yourself clearly. What your weak points are, what your strengths are. How to work on those, how to improve on those, how to use them to your advantage to create value. Because whether we like it or not, we do live in a world that's very much driven by money. And so whether we like it or not, we have to use it to live and to do the things we need to do many times. So I offer all of this to simply say, if you are 30 or younger, and I know like half of my audience is, and you're not doing this, friend, get to it. And if you need help, contact me. You, I, I do consulting on this, and I am happy to help you get yourself moving forward. Also, the same thing on just how to improve yourself internally and how to better yourself skills that you can develop, soft skills to make you more uh, competitive in business and as an entrepreneur or whatever it is you want to do. Uh, but get to it. And if you're 30 to 60 plus, I'm going to imagine that you're aware of these things, but if you are not, it's better... Better to start now than never. Better to put something away than nothing away. Uh, and again, if you need guidance, let me know. I'm happy to help on that. I do consulting on that. Again, I am not a licensed investor. I just know what I know that has worked for me, and I've seen it be proven through the years. And so I can offer what I've got. Obviously, I am not a financial advisor, so that's not something I can offer you. I can merely offer what I know. Uh, so friends, with all of that being said, I want to tell you, you can do it. You can improve your future. You can uh, keep optimistic even when things seem difficult. You can continue to grow and better yourself and the world around you. Uh, one step at a time, one starfish at a time. Learning is a good way to help protect yourself from some of the challenging things in the world and the misinformation you might get or disinformation. Uh, and that's why I present things psychologically, like when I've talked about things like the Ramsey theory, or logical fallacies, or understanding uh, cognitive biases, and all these different things that can occur. I share all of this because I want you to be better. I want you to grow. 
And these are things I provide consultation in as well. So if you wish any of that consultation, friends, you can obviously hit me up. You can send me a message on Anchor and we can talk about that. And then we can set up a connection through it, you know, through email. If you appreciate these podcasts, I do. Go onto the Anchor page, click on support. Again, it's anchor.fm forward slash Joseph hyphen Guzman and the number three. Click on support and you can be a monthly supporter for 99 cents a month. a month or $9.99 a month. And that really goes a long way in helping me continue to produce these. I want you to grow. I want you to succeed. I want us to create a community that maybe can help have some swaying power in how our world develops into a kinder, smarter, um, better place for everyone, regardless of differences in opinion. Well, with all of that said, friends, thank you all for listening in and for following along with me. Welcome to those of you that are new to Anything Goes. Uh, You'll find that there is a really wonderful, warm community here. And uh, as always, friends, stay curious, stay kind, find ways to be nice and kind to one another, especially to those that may be difficult to you, because we all can be difficult at times. Always be learning, always be growing, always be improving. And let's make this world better together, friends. Till next time, I send my love and prayers to you all and wish you a wonderful day or night. Bye-bye, friends.